0: back to Colossians and this probably will be our last sermon in Colossians. We're on the fourth chapter and we're finishing it up. Um, after this there's some, uh, you know, Paul says a few things, uh, instructions to the church that some, some interesting stuff historically, kind of some neat nuggets there but not necessarily a whole sermon's worth of information as it were. Uh, so we're, we're here in, in chapter four and just going to finish up with uh, Paul's message uh, to the Colossians here. And so I thought, since we were finishing up, I thought it would be good just to remind ourselves, you know, as we take uh, letters and gospels and things piece by piece and bit by bit, we sometimes lose just track of the, the whole picture and what the heck is it we're talking about anyway. Um, so I just wanted to go back and uh, remind ourselves uh, what this letter was about, what it was for and all that. Um, so I thought I'd just start off again with a map, just a reminder. Um, uh, Colossae it's right. Oh, right. Doesn't work on there. Uh, the, the red dot in the lower right um, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and uh, those other dots are other significant places. Biblically speaking, the green dots are the churches from uh, Rev- the first chapter of Revelation, um, so on and so forth. Um, so that's Colossae, which Paul, as you might remember, had never been to. Uh, he just he had uh, one of his. Students, Epiphras, had planted a church in Colossae and had reported back to Paul about them and things they were doing well, things they were doing right, and things that they weren't doing so well or so right. And so this letter to Colossae is from Paul, saying, I commend you for doing X, Y, and Z, and this is troubling to me. And that's uh, sort of the the, the purpose of the whole letter. So it's a letter to a new church, a young church, uh, indeed even as as Cornerstone is, a new church, a young church. um, And... uh, has things in, in there for us, including this conclusion. And then just a reminder, uh, the outline here, as with anything else, there's probably a zillion ways you can outline this letter. Uh, this is a, one that's as good as any uh, with the introduction, and then uh, the preeminence of Christ, or I, I, I probably would refer to, I copied this off the internet, I probably for refer to that as the um, sufficiency of Christ, that Christ is sufficient for all your needs, Warning against false philosophy uh, takes a a large chunk of the letter. That's Paul's concern uh, for this church, that certain things they're adopting aren't gospel. And then the position of the believer, which is to say, you know, if Christ is sufficient, then what? How shall you respond? And then the practice of the believer, which gets some of that uh, practical stuff that we talked about uh, last week or two weeks ago, and then the conclusion uh, where we're at today. So that, that's the letter in whole. It's a good letter to read in terms of a, a sort of a general, um, generic, if you will, letter to a young church. These are, these are some things, some pitfalls that you might fall into. These are some things that, as your, our human nature would tend to lead us down these darker paths. And these are some things that you can do that are good and positive and maintain a healthy atmosphere in a church and make sure you don't go uh, too far astray. Uh, oh, yeah, and these, these were some of the things that they were doing that were of concern. Uh, I'm, this was a few weeks ago, but ascetic disciplines, angel worship, uh, visionary experiences. If you Look at number eight there. Visionary experiences are praised above, um, uh, you know, Christian theology, Christ's teachings. Um, pride, losing connection with Jesus, et cetera. I won't go through the whole thing again. Those are just a reminder. And then Paul's closing words. Here, which is what I'll be talking about today. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And most of what I'll be talking about today is just that sentence. Because that's a great sentence. Very simple, very direct, and uh, covers a range of things. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too. Remember, Paul's imprisoned uh, during this letter uh, to Colossae. That first word of this passage, devote, is a, is a very strong one in the Greek. Um, there's not really a perfect one-to-one association in English, so I just, I just cut and paste the definition of that up here. Uh, Proskarteresis, to continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of difficulty, or despite difficulty, to devote oneself to, to keep on, to persist. So it, it, there's a sense of you know something you're already doing that you're persisting in, and there's sort of a threat of danger over it. So that's the the Greek word. Uh, When he says devote yourselves to prayer, it's a bit richer word than the, the one that they translate here, devote. So there's a very strong, I mean this is a strong sentence from Paul, that prayer undergirds, supports, envelopes, that we should be devoted to it regardless of whatever pushes against our life of prayer. Uh, a message I, I relearned uh, powerfully last year, the, the significance and the importance of prayer. So I thought it would be good to talk a little bit about just prayer, biblically speaking, and uh, look at uh, some of the things in the Bible that talk about prayer and what it looks like and what it should look like for us. This is a, probably a familiar passage to many of you. This is Matthew 6. This is a Jesus teaching. And when you pray... For your Father knows what you need, even before you ask. This then is how you should pray. And here's the famous Lord's Prayer. Very simple and very short. There's a certain brevity to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not this translation says temptation, which is the common way I, I prefer to translate that word tribulation. Peresto, the Greek word, can be translated temptation or tribulation. I've always preferred tribulation, but whatever. Lead us not into tribulation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's individual prayer, right? This is, that, that's a message, you know, we're not all to go into a closet together and pray, you know, all 30 of us or whatever. This is a, a message about what it, how you should pray individually, You're not to be, uh, you know, um, trying to impress people with your voluble prayer life. And I think we all know that on some intuitive level. Um, It's interesting, just as an aside, I always love to reflect, uh, or I frequently reflect, I should say, on the things that make Jesus angry versus the things that make me angry or the things that make you angry. Uh, That's always interesting to me. Um, One of the things that genuinely makes Jesus angry one of the few things, I should say, is hypocrisy. Uh, something that look, is trying to look like something on the outside, but on the inside is something different. You know, the, the whole whitewashed tombs thing that look clean and austere on the outside, but inside are full of death. That's what makes Jesus angry. Not sin, per se. Although, well, I, can, I don't want to get into a discussion on deep theology, but your sinfulness is, is problematic to you, and problematic to God, but it doesn't make God angry, he forgives it uh, through the cross. And I, I just I find that really interesting to reflect on if Jesus were here today, in this church now, what would make him angry? Would something make him angry? Would he say, well done, good and faithful servants? <laughs> that's what you're shooting for, that's the sentence you want to hear. Or if something was troubling to him, what would it be here? I mean, I, th- I think it's it's very helpful to to read the Gospels and and to think, okay, what would my what in my life really would upset him, and what wouldn't? What what is upsetting me, that he just wouldn't bother with? Anyway, that's all as a parenthetical and is what it is. But so when Paul says, "Devote yourselves to prayer. Give yourself entirely to prayer." This is half the battle here. You should have. A, I don't like to use the word "should" very often in church, but in this instance, gosh darn it, I'm getting. I'm Going all Baptist now, so you should have a private prayer life with God there's only one other individual being in the in the in the universe who knows your life intimately who who sees what you see through your eyes and knows the thoughts that goes through your head it's not your best friend or your spouse or your child it's God, and only God can walk that intimately with you. No one else can walk that intimately with you 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 need a private prayer life where you're discussing. Things with the one who knows you intimately and knit you together in your mother's womb—that is God. You need that private prayer life. God doesn't need it; He doesn't suffer without it. But you need it, and God delights in it when we take that time with Him in a private prayer life. And so that—and and that's my entire point on that. And when we forget that, and when we just presume we get the prayers we need, you know, in church or in, in group settings or we just throw off kind of half-hearted prayers through the day, just, you know how we do, uh, without really taking time to sit and focus with God. Our, uh, the rock in which we're standing gets a little wobbly, and we become more uh, vulnerable to the spiritual uh, the forces of the world. But that's only half the battle, of course. That's individual prayer, praying alone with God. The other half, of course, is community prayer. And I turn to Paul again, in this instance, uh, from the book of First Timothy, speaking to Timothy about, uh, well, basically pastoring a church. So this is about the church as a community. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. Paul made such bold claims in some of his letters, he kept on having to say, you know what, I mean this. (laughs) And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A number of points about this. Starting off at the top there, uh, petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving, to be made for all people, for all people, there's no... You know, no parenthetical there, not the French or whatever you're, it's all people. And then he says, you can almost see him thinking while he writes. So I like to think of Paul thinking while he writes. He puts a little dash in there and says, Also for your leaders. <laughs> Who are the hardest people for us to like and pray for? Who do we hate above all else? Our leaders. Whether it be our boss at work or, you know, all the way up to the very top, you name it, we love to hate. And Paul, it was the same back then. Uh, it was the same back then with an exclamation point because those leaders were evil people and could do terrible, evil things. Um, so th- that's not, not lightly written. <laughs> you know, these are not easy, not easy to pray for Caligula or you know, who have you, or Pontius Pilate for that matter. I mean, this was written by a man whose Messiah, whose Lord was killed by the authorities. Not just killed, but tortured and killed, so to say that that we should pray for all those in authority it's it's mind bending, and we should think about it that way. it should mind bend us it's intriguing you know we don't we're not given uh, a biblical mandate to be angry about our leaders we're supposed to pray for them i mean that to me that's a challenging thing to me if it's not challenging to you well i don't know what you're reading (Laughter um, <laughs> It's challenging. Uh, it's very challenging. So I, and it, it, it we, it, we all ought to take this very seriously. There's something there about this, and you know, to get to, get to a deeper level about it, uh, the people who are in charge of us and the people who make decisions that are unethical or that we believe to be unethical, or who hurt people because they're in positions of power, uh, you know, all these things, our first instinct, our immediate reaction is to say, those are the bad people. I'm the good people, and blank them. You know, fill in the blank. So that's our instinct. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you know what? We're all broken. And this person here that you despise so much can be redeemed, can be saved. So, what's your job, Christian? I'm, same as always love and pray. Love and pray. So, anyway, um, I find that very challenging. And, and also, I find it um, a relief. I find it to not have to carry anger and bitterness and hate around, but to give it to God and say, I will just pray for everybody uh, and try to love everyone, as God knows how difficult that is. But that is my goal, and I hope yours as well. So, leaders are the hardest to pray for. And yet we should do it. It is good and it pleases God. Now down to the bottom there, and this is getting a bit archaic now in our culture, but there's still a very, there's some very important points we made here But I want the men to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I want women, uh, how do they say it, to dress modestly with decency and propriety, uh, to adorn themselves with good deeds, not with elaborate hairstyles or, or, or gold jewelry. So, so if anyone's wearing gold or pearls, if you could just pass them to the front, <laughs> we will get rid of that uh, straight away. Um, because we're following the Bible. Um, No, obviously that's not the the, the larger point here. There's two things to say here. One, just the nature, uh, particularly back then when the sexes were so strongly segregated in terms of their roles and the culture and all this stuff, but uh, there was also a much stronger difference in personalities back then, uh, which I, I won't go into, but just the nature of being a man back in that culture, nature of being a woman back in that culture, much stronger uh, boundaries and dividing lies, lines. And what I take this to mean, in essence, is it's, as I, as I said earlier, in a different contexts, it's not about you. Don't draw attention to yourself. You know, men have a tendency, uh, you know, if, if men want to uh, draw attention to themselves, they, well, the whole machismo thing, right? And strutting around with, and, you know, ah, this makes me angry. Men often use anger as a way of, like, you know, look how righteous I am. Self-righteous anger or um, not me, of course, other men. Um, I don't do that. Um, but we, men tend to use their anger and aggression as ways to draw attention to themselves and to say, look how great I am, or look how powerful I am, or whatnot. And for women, uh, especially back then, it tended to be more of a, of a, you know, look how beautiful, look how rich I am, look how amazing I look, you know. Um, God knows we're not free of that demon yet. Um, so that's the, way, that's the way we draw attention to ourselves, right? Look at me. And so he's saying to men, shut up and sit down and don't argue with everybody about every little point. You know, you're not God. And he's saying to women, you know, don't come looking like you just stepped off the cover of whatever the first century version of Cosmopolitan or Vogue was. You know, just dress normal. And then if you want to look beautiful in God's eyes, here's what you do. You do good deeds. And then you really will be beautiful to all of us as well. And so I I think it, you know, the, the language is a bit archaic. But it translates still very well, I think, into our culture and in, into, our, into our life uh, today. But the larger point is that we're supposed to be praying corporately as a group. And that we should be praying petitions, prayers, intercession. And I love that he includes Thanksgiving in that. Just, as, as a, just give Thanksgiving. And I really love, and I have gotten a lot out of this over the last seven, eight years, however long I've been together, I really love that we pray together as a church in our service. Even when, actually, maybe even especially when the prayer time takes longer than I anticipated and it goes for a while. Be- because it never feels to me, and I hope it doesn't feel the way to you, it doesn't feel to me like it's dragging or, oh, there goes Doug again with a oh, you know, <laughs> six-minute prayer request. I mean, I really feel like we're putting our hearts and our vulnerability here in, in the commun- communal space and we're praying for each other uh, fervently and with faith. And we have seen God answer prayers uh, together as a community. And sometimes we just say, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, that this happened in my life or that this good thing uh, is happening here amongst us now and it's beautiful and thank you. And when we do that communally, we, we become the body of Christ. We become more the members of the body of Christ. And um, that's the, the left and the right hand of what he's saying. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. You have to have that private, intimate time with God, and we need to be praying together. And I I want to encourage you, um, and I want to be careful how I encourage you, because I understand, you know, for blowhards like myself, it's very easy to get up and talk and pray publicly, because that's the way God made me. (laughs) Uh, No shame. Here I am. Listen to me. Um, It's just part of who I am. Public speaking doesn't terrify me. And for some of you, public speaking is the notion of having your fingernails ripped out one by one. That's what you'd. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to. Too, too graphic. Dial it back. Uh, like having a hair plucked out of your head. It's unpleasant. Um, so it, I understand that, but you know, I, I think there's something about verbal prayer, and especially when someone says a prayer in our community or in a prayer circle somewhere who doesn't, who I know does not like to speak publicly, and who I know isn't crazy about it. It's doubly powerful. And I don't think it's just doubly powerful to me. I I really think sometimes it's doubly powerful. I think God says that I'm going to honor because he or she just stepped out in faith and said a prayer verbally. I'm really, okay, now I'm just going to go off. But I'm really fascinated just by the whole as I get older, you know how as you get older, things that seem very simple to you when you're young get more and more complicated, and eventually you're just staring at a flower like, oh my God, it's a flower? Is this just me? Yeah. Uh, and when you're 18, it's like, why is he looking at that flower? Um, but I, I get more and more fascinated by words and verbalization and what it does. Like even me speaking right now, the notion that uh, I, you know, what, what's happening in my mouth I, you know I'm vibrating air, basically, and that is going to every corner of this room, into your ear, it beats on some drum in your ear. The state Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's in grad school. <laughs> Do you want to come up and give this a portion of? A- you hate public speaking. <laughs> um, and by magic. It becomes, in your mind, it becomes words, and those words go to the part of your brain that has the meaning for that word, and you unpack that. And the really thing I love the most is that when you listen to other people speak, uh, it changes the actual form of your brain. Different connections are made, different things happen in your brain. I am literally physically changing your brain by speaking to you and you listening in a a learning... I know. (laughs) Does it hurt? Um, But that's an amazing... sometimes. Yes, you feel my pain now? <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed it does. <laughs> Stay on target. It's the Star Wars theme. Stay on target. Um, but I, I just find that fascinating. And so my whole point, I just think words, we tend to be somewhat of, of a, uh, as a community, as a culture, we just tend to be a little restrained, a little more restrained than we should be. I think we should be more voluble, generally speaking. Um, you know, something, you know, the Bible says God spoke creation into being. Now, obviously, He didn't have a mouth and all that, but there's something about just speaking that creates reality, that creates things, and creates truth. Um, and so when you pray aloud verbally, it creates something that, and I respect that people are praying internally and they're talking to God. Nothing wrong with that, but there's just something powerful about that. So I just want to encourage all of us. We're, we're embodied creatures. I feel the same way about lifting your hands in worship. And I, again, I'm not slapping anybody's hand. doesn't like to do that. But just something about coming in fully as a human being in, into prayer and worship that God really does honor. I, I really do I believe that and, and have seen that. Now, this will probably go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway because words create reality, Right? <laughs> You know, why is prayer so important? Why Why would that be? What I'm going to say sounds deeply obvious, profoundly obvious, but just open that deep ear within your heart just to hear this. Prayer is so important and so vital because God is real. <laughs> and God is alive here and now in this room, in this space. God is present and listening in a way that I don't pretend to understand and I don't pretend that I can even explain it to you. But the, the, just the, the presence, the, the, the omnipresence of the Lord, when we get away from prayer, I think part of what, at least part of what draws me away from prayer, is starting to lose that sense of faith of God's imminent reality every day, of every second. I might just think of God sort of as being out there, and sort of paying attention, like he's watching me on a security camera or something, but not, not immediately present, and not immediately responsive. And so we have to build each other up in that. And indeed, we really do have to build each other up in that because God is not always immediately responsive. I will send you a Messiah. Well, 800 years later, here's Jesus. It's not God's time is not our time. So we need to tell each other our story. Again, verbalizing, tell each other our stories of, you know what, I didn't think this was even fixable. I didn't think God could move into this space. I didn't think God could do anything with this. But I prayed about it because because I had some I had that mustard seed of faith and this is what God did. And so that's another thing that we need to be building up for. God is real. God is here. He will respond to your prayer. I know. Obvious 101, but I need to hear it sometimes. Um and that he is it's not a, it's not a um, something we do to be holy or to look or obviously not to just look good, but not even to just be good. We do it cuz God is here, God is real, and God is listening. I need to be reminded of that uh, daily. Okay, watchfulness. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And I'm going to use some words here from Peter, from 1 Peter, uh, to talk about that. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I love that passage. I, just, I really love that passage. You know, I would have written that. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that God will rescue you from your suffering. That's how I would have written that. But we take comfort and knowledge in knowing we don't suffer alone. God himself suffers with us. And that's how we get through it. That's how we, that's how we survive our suffering. It's not because we know that tomorrow we, we pray, we hope, and indeed sometimes we see that God heals and cures, but we don't always know. So, and this is directly related to the watchfulness. When Paul says to be watchful, it's actually the same word. In Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And that word, uh, be alert. See, did I put that up there? Yeah. Oh, boy. Gregoreo. Gregoreo. <laughs> Say that six times fast. Uh, that's uh, th- That word is um, watchfulness. To be in continuous readiness and alertness to learn. To be alert, to be watchful, be vigilant. So it's the same Greek word. So when Peter says to be alert and of sober mind because the devil prowls around, same word that Paul's using to be to be watchful. Now, if you live a biblically faithful life, if you are living a biblically faithful life, if you have lived for years a biblically faithful life, then you will have long since traded in or started to continue to trade in your anxieties for watchfulness. That's the trade we do. We trade anxiety for watchfulness. Because if you just try to get rid of anxiety by pretending that evil is not real, or that bad things don't happen your anxiety will actually increase to such levels that you'll you'll eventually be paying for counseling because you can't deal with that level of anxiety you have to trade your anxiety for watchfulness because evil is real and we have a job with regard to evil which is to be watchful for it to keep an you know our job is akin to the watchman on the tower uh, if, you, if you think of that, that imagery of a watchman uh, looking over a high tower over a valley and that watchman knows that there's an enemy army out there. But that watchman also knows that the army inside the city is much bigger and much stronger than the army out there. So the only thing that's going to cause trouble is if that enemy army slips in unawares or at night or some Trojan horse kind of thing. Who knows? But whatever it looks like, our watchfulness will keep evil at bay. We don't have to be stronger than evil. We don't have to be even smarter than evil. We just have to keep an eye out for it and say we know it's there and we'll be on our guard to not let it in. And that can look a million different ways. But that, if we drop that, if we think the world is basically a good place, I'm basically a good person, and it's all going to be just fine, no, it won't. <laughs> the world is not a basically good place, and you are not basically a good person. And it won't all be just fine unless you keep an eye out. And there's all kinds of ways to do that, and I don't have time to go into that, but I think you, do, you know what I mean. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that others are suffering with you. And then I'll end with this because I'm running out of time here, but thankfulness. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul goes on to say, um, and I I don't think I'll get to this next week, so I'll read it here. Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This is the level of thankfulness that Paul lives in. Paul's an amazing man. The level of thankfulness that Paul lives in is that when he says pray, dot, 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 again, my prayer would be, pray that i would be released from this prison <laughs> pray that the chains would fall off and that i would be free and that i could go back to doing my mission work wherever that's not paul's prayer he says pray that i the gospel would be revealed in my imprisonment with the chains on me to me I, to me that reflects a level of thankfulness of gratitude in all things because paul holds on to that precious pearl of salvation the, the great pearl of any price right he's i have christ and So everything else is just details. And I will preach the gospel wherever God may have me, even in prison, maybe even especially in prison. And I will pray, my pray will be that I can proclaim it clearly, you know, without any obfuscation or any, any words like obfuscation that might obfuscate the point. (laughs) Um, And that's. I, I love that. I love that model of a human being that if I were put in prison, I would be writing letters to you guys first, like pray that I get free. Pray that I get free. I, just, I would just cut, cut and paste that a hundred times. Pray that I'd be free. Oh yeah, and let me proclaim the gospel too. Sure, of course. Okay, pray that I get free. That's not Paul. And it, it should be me. It should be all of us. Thankfulness. If you live a life of thankfulness, you, you, can't, you can't be brought down. What can the world do to you if you, if you live this life of devoted to prayer and you're watchful so that the enemy doesn't get into your soul, into your heart, and then you're thankful, you're, you're driving a tank around. You're, you're impervious uh, to the, the swords and slings of this world. And that is my prayer, and that will be my prayer. Let us pray together.